0: And sometimes they did that and the whole herd would get out and you would have to go after them. But, you know, the whole herd, it's not hard to find, the whole herd fast. Sometimes it's hard to find it at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. you trample the gas, it takes a while to get it up there, you know, sometimes it just doesn't take off, if you've got a car, a big engine, and you trample that gas, got a bid and they wanted what, $86? $86.15 with the sweeper. Took it someplace else and then began it for $10.90. like dirt, and they could put you in a corner you never get out until you submitted to what they were thinking and paul was that kind of man he was able to do that but that's not the power that he's talking about he's talking about the spirit's power the power of the word of god the power of prayer the power of the holy spirit to work in his life and to work in the lives of those for whom and to whom he was talking It said that a converted man a man who has accepted jesus christ as his savior and has two or three bible promises and he's overflowing with a rich exuberance and a rich experience of forgiveness of sins can convert more people in six weeks Man will be won in six years by a well-read, well indoctrinated church member who who quotes for some creed and many theologians. But he doesn't have a vibrant, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able. See? That's the difference. I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to do that which he said that he would do. See? That's the difference. That's the difference. And that's where we're coming from. We know whom we have believed in. And we're persuaded as to what he can do. Rather than I, rather that, Paul, Paul says, I do not glory in what I am and what I have accomplished, but I rather glory in Christ. Because he knew that it was Christ who brought these people to salvation and changed them. Rather than him standing up there and being an orator, rather than he, he standing there and delivering a message that was inspirational and, and misleading. So he didn't do that. He stood up there in the power of the Spirit and believed for the Spirit of God to convict and to take hold of people's lives. So, as we didn't recognize the power of the Spirit, the power of prayer, the power of the word, The barbarians, it was a way of distinguishing between the wise and the unwise, between the uh, cultured and the uncultured. The foolish and the, uh, uh, I guess, foolish and the, you know, the idea that the Greeks considered themselves as wise, and anybody, the Greeks and the Romans considered themselves as wise, cultured, and learned individuals, and everybody else was a barbarian. Everybody else was uncultured, uncouth, uh, un, they didn't even deserve to walk on the same side of the street uh, as they did. So, Paul then considered himself to be a debtor to no man, in the sense that uh, he, wanted well, I get a debtor to every man. It didn't matter who they were, whether they were Greeks or barbarians, whether they were cultured or uncultured, whether they lived in the city or lived out in rural areas. It didn't matter. He was a debtor to them. And uh, that the idea of being a debtor was the idea that the executor of an estate owes that which he holds in trust to for those it has been designed. Paul considered himself an executor of an estate. The estate was the things of God. God put that in his hands that he might deliver it to those for whom he intended God intended man to be saved. And so God then put this message in the heart of Paul. Paul then gave this message to the people for whom it was saved. He was a debtor. He was one who had been given a charge. And you see, that's what each of us are. Each of us have been. We have been given a charge. We have. Uh, we are debtors both to the Jews and the Greeks. We are debtors to the rich and to the poor. To those who are cultured and those who are uncultured. To those who are black, those who are white, those who are Malaysian. doesn't matter. We are debtors to people, and the message is Jesus Christ. And this is what he wants us to get it out. So Paul said, I'm a debtor to the Greeks, to the barbarians, to the wise, to the unwise. I owe this to them because what I have is a We find that uh, he takes Rome, which is the, the world's center at that time. Uh, you know, it is probably the it is the focal point of the entire world, the then known world, the then known world. Uh, it's focal point is Rome because it was the Roman Empire. Caesar lived there. You know, this was this was the center of everything, Rome. It was not just like Washington D.C. We sometimes think of as the capital. of you know, the capital uh, of the United States. But we have other big cities: New York City, Los Angeles, so Johnstown, You know, we have this big city that. <laughs> Our hubs for the world, uh, uh, economy. <laughs> and uh, you know, one of those cities always comes to people's minds. Uh, you know, it's funny. Whenever I'm in conversation, talking, to people are placing orders or whatever. Uh, I tell them, uh, you know, i the phone Florida, they call it Texas or, or someplace, and people are asking me about, you know, what's your name and address, Winburn. Where's that near? I said near Johnson. Oh, no never had those floods. You know. Never had those floods. And um, so yes, that, that's the place. That's that's about where we live. And um, we're famous for something, anyhow. Uh, famous for wine, you know. But um, uh, we're made fa- famous for the floods of revival. How about that? not the spirit of God. Floods of revival. All right, um. Well, Rome was a, a, a very
1: unique
0: place. I mean, it was a very great place. Um, it was a world center, a world trade center. It was a uh, a place that, you know, Paul, I think, whenever he thought of it, might have been shocked that this is where God wants me to go. This is a place where he wants me to go and establish a church. Uh, will the will the message of Jesus Christ work in such a place as Rome? Will there be victory also in Rome? And these are the questions that would have challenged Paul, Paul, didn't, Paul, I don't know. He's a lot like us. God said, time to go, Paul. Time to leave court. Time to go to Rome. Well, you uh, you're go to work. where Paul, Paul's going to take his message. All right, verse 16. Okay, if you can imagine all of these different, different religions, different beliefs, and this sex pool of sin, and all these things that was going on in Rome, the message of Jesus Christ was not looked upon as
1: uh,
0: as too stable of a, of, a, of a belief, because the message of Jesus Christ was centered around the resurrection, that someone had, that God had raised up Christ from the dead. Now, they heard of a lot of things before, but this takes a And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed. For he knew that the wrath of, of the government and of this, uh, the intellectuals, I mean, no intellectuals is going to believe that people can be raised from the dead, because Roman thought was that this body was holding the spirit which was life captive. And the best thing to do was to kill the body and let and let the spirit go free. You know, if you watch those old Roman films, you know, those they they, they, they drink the poison and it's like they're doing their thing to you know, liberate their soul and set them free. Their, their body is evil and their soul is good. And there's nothing they can do to redeem their body. So let's, let's set our, our soul and our spirit free. And that comes again. And here comes Paul says he's going to resurrect the body. What do you do for? When do want to resurrect the body for? What kind of crazy doctrine is this? That he was going to enter into severe persecution and he knew that they were not going to understand it but yet he went there anyhow um as much as is in me it is to the limits of my resources though i die in doing it though they throw my body to the lions though they burn me at the stake i am ready to preach the gospel in rome also for i am not ashamed of the gospel of christ for it is the power of god unto salvation to everyone that believes it is the power of god and we come back to this idea of power It was doing work, and that's exactly what we're doing. You're yeah, not your choice. It is of sustaining life and bringing life. It is capable of raising you from the dead when you die. It is capable of taking us right into the very throne room of God. When the Bible says come boldly into the throne room of God. We can enter into the throne room of God and if we have never sinned because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the word of God has done this to us and has made us aware of what God is doing. The word of God is sharper than an two-edged sword. It penetrates into the into the, uh, the soul and the spirit, to our sensations, to our appetites, to He will not have to be our judge. Because this is God. And if we take the word of God and it sits and it is part of our lives, it will sit there in judgment of us and we will know what is right and what is wrong and we will change our lives. Our thoughts, our intents, everything. We are an open book. There is nothing hidden. There is no secret chambers where we stand. When when the Word of God is being presented, the Word of God is letting us know there are no secret chambers. There are no hidden places. He is there. He is with us. He is in charge. We allow Him to be in charge. And we are open to the eyes of Him When we have to do. Um, God is pleased to exercise His Word within our lives. Now, why is the Word of God so powerful? Why is the Word of God so powerful?
1: and a lot of great things written. It can be good writing, but it may write about things that happen in history. It can be fiction. It can write about things as they are. It can write about speculations and things of the future. Just input It's still just the letter. It was alive in the hearts of It was alive in the heart of Daniel. The heart of Abraham.
0: God's because literature is, can be good writing. But it writes about things that were, It may write about things that happened in history. It can be fiction, it can be uh, it can be biography, it can write about things that they are, it can write about speculations and things of the future, but it's still just input. It's still just the word. But the word of God is alive. It was alive in the hearts of Dave, it was alive in the heart of Daniel when he went into the lion's den. It was alive in the heart of Abraham. And God said, "Come forth, Abraham, and we'll take you to a new land, a new place." It was a lie. It moved on there. It moved upon my soul. It was a lie in the heart of the apostle Paul of what he was going to do and how he was going to go forth and proclaim the message. It was a lie. The word of God is a lie, and it teaches us about living, and about life, about what we ought to do and how we ought to live. I'm glad for it. You look like good boys. You know that? Matthew chapter 2. Chapter 2 verses 1 to 23. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, astrologers from the east, came to Jerusalem asking, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and it is rising, at its rising, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was disturbed and troubled, and the whole of Jerusalem with him. So he called together all the chief priests and learned men of the people, and anxiously asked him where the Christ was to be born. They replied to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, you are not in any way least of the insignificant among the chief cities of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern and shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7. When Herod sent for the wise men secretly and and, um, and accurately to the last point ascertained from them the time of the appearing of the star, that is, how long the star had made its visible sign, its rising in the east, then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search out the child carefully and diligently. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. When they had listened to the king, they went their way, and lo, the star, which had been seen in the east in its rising, went before them, until it came and stood over the place where the young child was. When they saw the star, they were thrilled with ecstatic joy, and going into the house, they saw the child and married his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasure bags, they presented to him gifts and gold and frankincense and myrrh. And receiving an answer to their asking, they were divinely instructed and warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they departed to their own country by a different way. Now after they had gone, behold, an angel the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take unto you a young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod intends to search for the child in order to destroy him. And having risen, he took the child and his mother by night and withdrew to Egypt, and remained there until Herod's, Herod's death. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of out of Egypt have I called my son. And we go on then to read what Herod did, and, and that uh, uh, how that he was protected, and then Christ was uh, Mary and Joseph were recalled recall back to to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem or to Israel. Well, the scripture that we look at today is found primarily in Matthew chapter two, verses one to eleven. And that which is dealing around the birth of Jesus Christ, then the wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek him. There are two rather detailed accounts of the birth of Christ. And by the time Christmas arrives, we will have have read most of them. Matthew's account and Luke's account. We have Mark and John that's hardly mentioned the birth of Christ at all. And in the writings of Paul, there's very little given about the birth of Christ. There's nothing really written in Paul's letters about the birth of Christ. And we find that even in the early church, the first century, there was no account or there was no specific note made of the birth of Jesus. The emphasis was entirely upon his death and his resurrection. And there were several hundred years that went by before his birth became uh, celebrated and would be regarded as a point of spiritual and historical importance. So it was was hundreds of years before there was the celebrating of the birth of Christ. Now, as we read through these two accounts of Matthew and Luke, we find that they they differ in many ways. The genealogy is listed in Matthew, and we find that the the genealogy in Matthew traces the early ancestry through Joseph. And Luke follows David's line through Mary, the mother of Jesus. Matthew emphasizes the religious implications of the birth as it deals with Israel and as it deals with the son of David. Well, Luke is a more personal account. You know, these help us to establish a basis as we read through these accounts of the birth of Christ. Luke is a personal and mystical account. Luke elaborates on the feelings and the circumstances of Mary, and we have that personal approach uh, through the family uh, system through the book of Luke. Today, as we look at this message, we are looking at it through the perspective of Matthew and how the God used the apostles and the former tax collector, Matthew, to give a very insightful record of the most important birth that has ever taken place. And so we look here at these scriptures. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, And at the time of the birth, Bethlehem was a small town. It was an insignificant place, about five miles from Jerusalem. It was laying in the hill country of Judea, where the shepherding was a principal occupation of those who lived there. It was in this area that, in the Old Testament, that Ruth met Boaz. King David had come to this particular town. And now we find that Herod was ruling over this territory of Israel. He was not a Jew. His father had been given the rulership as a favor to the Roman government. And so he was ruling over this territory. He He ruled for approximately 37 years. He was a very cruel taskmaster to the people, a very self-seeking individual who, who was out to get as much from the people and accumulate as much wealth as he could. And it was during this time that Jesus was born. were there and the shepherds all came. Keep listed in which account? It was. and that we might have it abundantly as we live in Him and He lives through us now. So we stand? Wise men still seek Him. Father, we thank You. We thank You that we can seek You and we can find You and we will search for You with our whole heart. That, Lord, that You shall work in and through us and that, Lord, that we shall find You. That we shall find joy in our service for You. We shall find strength in our walk for You. Lord, that these things which we have sought for in our seeking in our spiritual life, Lord, we shall find them. For, Lord, we seek a closeness with you. That we are not just aliens on a trip through time, but we are sons and daughters of God on an encounter with God, an encounter with you, an everyday encounter in which we can experience your love, your your preservation, your strength to us. So we thank you that we can be aware of your presence and we can be aware of you. And that, Lord, that those who are wise still do seek for you. And we bear the gifts of our life, O Lord, to you. For, God, they are the greatest gifts that we have to offer ourselves. And Lord, you accept them. You accept them. And Lord, you work in us now to make us more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this day and this time that we have to serve you and to reflect upon that which you have done. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen.
0: The Lord bless you.